As aspiring writers ourselves, we've tried many different methods to try and organise all the thoughts about the stories we want to tell. We've been there searching for a piece of scrap paper to note something down or making a quick note on our phone in between meetings. Let's be honest, it can all be a bit messy and it's easy to lose track of everything. And that's when we realised it's not just the story that needs structure and planning, but the way we gather all of our thoughts about it as well. And so we made page one. Page one is more than just another notebook. It's a place to put down all your ideas for your latest project, divided into easy to use sections that will help you plan your story so that when that blank page comes calling, you're ready to answer. We truly believe that when you use it, it will help you get to the main event, writing your story. So we hope this helps. We can't wait to read what you come up with. And remember, every story starts with page one. Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of the Page One Podcast. I'm Marco. I'm Tarek. You've just heard an advert there for Page One, the writer's notebook, which is a little project that we've got going on Kickstarter. It's going great, but it's only running to the 2nd of May, so uh, please do check it out. The link's in the bio and uh, grab your copy today. Absolutely. Uh, this week we're chatting to Adrian J. Walker, uh, author of quite a few books. Uh, his biggest one is The End of the World Running Club, a book we've talked about a few times on the podcast. We're both big fans of it, um, as we say to Adrian. And he's got a sequel coming out at the end of the year, to it, which we chat to him about as well. Just announced that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we talked to him about that. Uh, Stephen King was a massive fan of that book yeah. as well. Adrian woke up to a tweet one day saying it was a real find from Stephen King. So that that must have been a great feeling. <laughs> I can only imagine <laughs> yeah, finding exactly. that tweet one morning. Exactly. So we speak to him about that as well. But we'll be back at the end of the podcast to chat further. Until then, on with the show. So, I mean, I suppose to, to start at the, uh, well, before the beginning, what did you do before you, before your first novel was published? What career did you have before that? Um, I basically spent my adult life trying to escape from careers. <laughs> I know that <laughs> feeling. <laughs> through various uh, artistic endeavours. Um, but I actually... The career I was in, and actually still am to a certain extent, is is software. Right. Um, so I, I, you know, about the same time I started writing, I was I was up in my bedroom coding on a on an old crappy computer, um, and I've never really stopped doing that. It's, it's always been something I've done, uh, e- even within the writing field itself. You know, I write little programs to keep track of. Uh, what books I you know sell and all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. uh, your know, website work, all that kind of thing. Um, but I was when I when I first when I wrote my first book, I took six months out of contracting as an IT contractor, uh, and uh, it's very slow process. I, I, I kind of you know six months probably um, the, the amount of writing I did in that time I could probably do now in about a month. But you know, it, was, it was a good way of, of getting into it. Um, and quite scary at the same time because I, I, I got out of um, a well-paid job and I wasn't being paid for it. Um, but uh, through doing that, I, I created the first kind of book that I, I had. I self-published that. But during that time, I went back to software. Um, and it's been sort of in and out ever since, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, whenever I get a bit of you know, success or, or leverage on a book, I'm, I'm, I'm able to, to not contract. Uh, but the nature of writing is you never know what you're going to be earning month, you know, month to month, year to year. So to have that kind of, um, 
ability to go back and and uh, you know make some money is quite is quite useful. So right now I'm I'm contracting, mm-hmm. um, yeah, you know, a sh- sort of short term thing to bring some some pennies in. Yeah, yeah. short um, answer is software. Software. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll just edit it straight to software. <laughs> that's fine. Yeah, <laughs> um, uh, and when you took that time off the first time, had you you know obviously you've always enjoyed writing I'm guessing and always wanted to write what was yeah. it that gave you that spur that said right you know what I'm going to take the time off and I'm going to do this this time well actually before that time I tried two or three times before as well right. uh, so I uh, about a year before that so so when I started doing that I was in Edinburgh actually um, before I met you know actually met my wife um, I'd been traveling for a year and I'd attempted to write a book on a beach in New Zealand on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, and that didn't really work out, um, as you can imagine. <laughs> um, and getting back, it was like, okay, I've got to get back and then some money. So I went back into software, did a contract, came out, and I just thought, I need to just... I had the feeling that this was probably the only time in my life where I'd have some peace, mm-hmm. proper peace, to actually write. Um, so... I guess it was like, okay, before I get into, you know, my, my 30s at that point and before I get into, you know, potentially settling down, I, I need to spend this time, you know, I don't have any responsibilities. Maybe the last time I get to actually sit yeah. down and write for a, for a period. So, um, yeah, it was that really. But interestingly enough, it wasn't until, um, I think a lot of things you hear about writers is that they don't have the time Yes, and the time is the big thing. You know, you, you need to find the time to write, and it takes a long time to write. Um, I found that when I, it was only when I had kids, when your time becomes very, very precious, mm-hmm. that I started to write properly, because that was the time when I, I found, I've got an hour now. I've got an hour when the kids are asleep, or, or um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm back from work, and, and I've got this, this you know. This small amount of time, I need to use it wisely. That really helped me focus on to um, actually writing. So when I look back on that time, that six months that I took off, that luxurious six months of no work, <laughs> anything, uh, I think, how would I use that now? You know, it's like yeah, absolutely. <laughs> probably write a few books. That's right. I suppose that's right because when you don't have kids. You always think, oh well, I've got, I can do this later on. Yeah. So you've got yeah. that that yeah. thought that time will, time is infinite, but unfortunately, yeah. it isn't. <laughs> what happened to the book then? That, that that first one that you wrote. What happened to that one? So that one was called From the Storm, and that's still I self published that. I, I I'd started going out to agents, um, uh, you know, pitching to all the agents that did thrillers. It was a thriller. Um, and I think I got one response, which was uh, worded, which was too wordy for a thriller. And that was on a little place. <laughs> it's so hard. Uh, I know. Well, actually, you've got to take those sort of things with, um, uh, you've got to listen to those kind of things. Because, I mean, that was someone that had read it and actually taken the time to write down. This is why yeah, we don't want true. it, you know. And that's it's quite a big deal for a, for a lot of agents because they get so many things through the door. Uh, so for them to actually take that time made me realise the problem of that book was that I was trying to write something exciting 
but I was doing it very, very wordily. I was doing lots of uh, introversion and, and, and uh, made me realise what I really wanted to write at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but to answer your question, it was I, I, I ended up self-publishing that, and that's that actually it did quite well self-publishing. I, I, you know, sold quite a lot, got a bit of a following, and that helped me write the end of the road running club. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you know, gave me the confidence to do that. Yeah, on the self-publishing thing, because I think that would be interesting to anyone that's listening. How how did you generate a, a you know a following? If it's done quite well, obviously it's caught on. Is it is it just word of mouth, or did you do anything to try and boost its profile at all? Um, I tried all sorts of things. I mean, there's there's so many podcasts, um, or there were at the time that were coming out uh, that, that gave you little tips and hints on strategies and tactics, and um, some things worked, some things didn't. The I think the. Let me see, I'm trying to think back, but one of the things I did back in those days uh, during the Edinburgh Festival, I printed a load of books and I left them around the place in Edinburgh. So I left them on park benches with a little note, uh, or in you know um, the pleasant you know places like that, and people picked them up and got in contact. And, oh right, um, interesting. Yeah, I mean it didn't create a huge amount of buzz, <laughs> but it was a, it was a kind of way. It, I think for that that time, it's more about the confidence for me. I, I needed to know that people liked what I was writing. It wasn't yeah. so much about getting a big readership. Um, I think the biggest help was um, when when Running Club came along. It was actually the title mm-hmm. that did the biggest thing, and, and I did a lot of research into how Amazon works. Right. Uh, search engine uh, with the categories and how you use your title to kind of create search results. Um, and I knew I was writing a book about the end of the world and running. So Put them together. Kind of <laughs> drove what I, why, why I call it the end of the world running club. It's kind of and like the daily works. mail, the daily mail headline approach. Right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. You've got to get the information. Yeah. In there. yeah. And it works. You know, people were searching for those things and when it came up, they, they bought it and it built, Built up, but to be honest, it's still a, a dark art. I don't, I don't really know how it all works. Mm-hmm. I think you've just got to try different things and be prepared to fail uh, a lot with self-publishing. Uh, and eventually, you get a following and you get um, a readership, and they help a lot. Uh, building a mailing list is a really big thing. Yeah, okay. And if you guys do that, you're trying to build a, a kind of email list um, because people listen a lot more and they respond a lot more when it's email. Right. over Twitter or Facebook. It's a okay. different kind of mentality you're in when you're reading email, I think. Yeah, I suppose it's more, it feels that it's more directed directly at you as opposed mm-hmm. to sort yeah. of shouting into the... What what sort of stuff do you tend to send by email? Is it kind of one-to-one messages or is it like a you know short stories or what kind of stuff do you share? Uh, I, I tend to do short stories. I've done a few short stories by email. Um, mostly uh, pre-order alerts, uh, the, the last book I released, self-published, was called The Other Lives, which was last year. Uh, and I sent out a kind of reader's pack for everyone that pre-ordered it, uh, including things like scans of my notes, um, the music that I'd recorded uh, that went along with the book. Um, cool. You know, l- little things that you wouldn't normally get with, with a book yeah. uh, to keep people engaged. It's that a very personal kind of thing, really. Um because you, you know, once you start getting a following on a mailing list, they they do tend to 
the re- readers do tend to interact with you quite heavily. Uh, and it's quite nice a lot of the time. The feedback both ways there that, that's yeah. happening. That's quite yeah. good. Yeah. And then, so end of the world running club obviously is the book that, that most people would, would know you for. Uh, what was the story with that? How did it come into being? And then how did it suddenly explode as it seemed to do? Well, I was living in Benali and I knew I wanted, I, I'd always had a, a, a kind of idea that I wanted to write a, some sort of apocalyptic story. Um, and I was getting into running at the same time. And I also had two young kids and I was living in Edinburgh. So <laughs> it all kind of, uh, um, started off from there. The, the, the problem I had was when I started out, I was originally writing a, a more traditional kind of apocalyptic book. It was about a guy who already knew how to run with a group of friends who knew how to run. Right. So they were going to run across the landscape of uh, post-apocalyptic Britain with no problem, really. They were just going to be able to do it. Uh, and it wasn't really working out for me because I, I just didn't, it just didn't work because it was, it was easy. You know, it was just a, a journey. So I, I started to think about a runner's journey. You know, some if you've ever sort of run or started to run, it's very painful to start with. And it's, you know, getting yourself off the sofa is, is hard enough, actually. You know, doing 5K or 10K or a marathon is, is even worse. But that journey is very slow and painful, but it takes you on a journey. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to kind of mirror that journey. And I, I found I wanted to mirror that journey in the story. Yeah. So it became a lot more about running than it did about the end of the world. And actually became a lot more about fatherhood and uh, the issues that parents have when they first start out than, than the end of the world as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's very difficult to know how it all came together, but those things were definitely heavy on my mind when I was writing it, so they, they you know, naturally came out. And I think that's what made it work, because it you have to try and resonate with, with someone. That's how you write. That's what writing is. You're trying to resonate an idea, and it definitely resonated with runners and young fathers and parents. Yeah, well, I, I think from my point of view, what it what it was the sort of the human side of it that, you know, I've got two young kids and it, it was that human side of aid that really resonated with me. Um, you know, even at the start, Ed, uh, I think this is a deliberate choice that you made, but he's not the most likable character. He's, 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 you know, he could be doing more around the, the house and stuff. Dick, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I suppose that resonated. Maybe I'm a dick. <laughs> That's what resonated with me. Um, but, you know, and then to see the, see the journey, as you say, it is a journey that he goes on both literally and, and metaphorically. And I, I, I absolutely loved it, actually. I thought that, especially the ending, I thought was brilliant. Mm. Thanks. Yeah, I, I liked it a lot as well. And unlike Mark, I don't have any kids, but I do quite enjoy running. And I, I totally, I thought you completely nailed that feeling of when you first start to, to run and that kind of feeling of this is just, I can barely go 10 steps, never mind like a K or 10K or whatever. Yeah. And that, uh, growth from, Someone who's never done any any running to actually trying to run twenty miles a day for six days, whatever it was, towards the end was um, was I thought you completely nailed that part, and I think that was, I found that very interesting, and the setting I thought was 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 excellent. So I thought that was very unusual book. It, could, it had a lot of different appeals at a lot of different places and put them all in this one pot, and I thought it worked really really well. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, the, the, there was definitely as I was going along, it was I found. Uh, I mean, the places they go along the way, I, I know quite well. 
and I found I wanted to get across that idea of um, uh, you know Scotland and England, both of them as as, as places, and to to, to kind of shed life from them and create a kind of spotlight on what those places were like and the people are like in them. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, thanks. Cheers. No, <laughs> well, it, thanks, thanks for writing it because it was it was really good. <laughs> um, so you wrote End of the World Running Club. Um, and then what was the process with that? Did you self-publish that first or did it, did you get yeah. picked up? You self-published. So that was, yeah. that was self-published and that, um, I think the day I self-published it was the day that we moved to, we'd already moved to Aberdeen at that point and we were moving to Houston, Texas with my wife's work. And I think it's the day I published it that we moved. I think it was about, about that. Um, so, we were over there for a bit, about a year. We were supposed to be there for longer, but we we ended up after about ten months having to move back. And the book had done really well, and it was starting to you know, actually generate a fair a fair income, mm. uh, you know, something that you know we, we were starting to think could become quite a, a a good thing for me. Is you know I wouldn't have to work in IT anymore. Um, but we were hit with this news that we had to move back. So we were going to have to be back somewhere. We didn't know where. Uh, and I was faced with going back to work. Mm-hmm. So to have this sort of mild success trajectory and then to have to think, oh, I've got to go back to it. And the story is we were in a Mexican restaurant, me and my wife, and we were talking about what I was going to have to do and what we would have to do, where we would live. Uh, and I got a ping on my phone picked up the phone and it was uh, an editor at Penguin Random House, uh, Emily Yao, who had picked up the, the book, read it, and liked it and wanted to offer me a, a deal with Penguin. So we were talking wow. about what we were going to do. So yeah, that was a pretty big moment to have that. Um, and from there, it was it was basically getting involved with with, with editors and the whole, I mean, they they put a huge amount into that book. They they really did get behind it, and I'm forever grateful for them for doing that. I mean, they put all the um, the outside advertising up. You know, it's all these. You know, we had a map of where all the adverts were in in Britain for the book. You know, we got the BBC Two Book Club, yeah. mm-hmm. um, the Radio Two Book Club, Simon Mayo, uh, and that was amazing. It was just an amazing time. We'd, we'd moved back to London at that point. So to be right in the hub of it all at that point where it was all sort of happening was, was amazing. So, but yeah, it wouldn't have happened without self-publishing. Yeah, that's, that's that's right. to, uh, I kind of did things back to front because I didn't have an agent. I do now, mm-hmm. but it was, you know, I, I published, got a publisher and then got an agent. Yeah. Yeah. Most, most <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, and when you got the editor, did they want much change? Did, did, did the book change quite a lot from when you'd done it yourself to when it went out or was it the same text? It was, we dropped about 10,000 words. Okay. But the story didn't change that much. Uh, it was mostly just guff, you know, stuff that didn't need to be in there. And there was a bit of bringing out some of the other characters like Beth um, and... Yeah, but not as much as you think. There, was, there wasn't a huge amount. Mm-hmm. I'd already hired an editor beforehand to when I self-published, so it was, it was fairly clean when I when I self-published. Mm-hmm. And then um, after that, uh, it, it, I was trying to look at, uh, at your 
the published books, it's not easy to see the order that they came out in. Was no. it the, the last dog on earth after that, or was yes. it Colours? When the Colours was a self-published thing that I'd done. Right. I just self-published before Penguin got involved with with uh, right. yeah, the Then they offered me a two-book deal. The first of which was the last dog on earth. Although what they really wanted all along was the sequel, mm-hmm. which I've just announced today. Yeah, very excited to read about that. Um, yeah. um, we'll come back to that and, and ask you a few questions about that if we can towards the end. Sure. But, so The Last Dog on Earth, and again, uh, all, of, all of your books seem to be around the realm of sort of as you know, a very broad category of speculative fiction type. Yeah. Um, is is that the is that what you enjoyed reading? Is that what you enjoy reading? Is yeah, I I do struggle a little bit with reading. I, I'm probably the worst reading writer. Right. Really <laughs> um, a, a, a book really has to grip me to for, for me to enjoy it, and I I do try. I mean, I, I get sent loads of books all the time, and I I, I read a lot, but a lot of the time it just doesn't work and I think a lot of the time what I write is what I want to read and I think mm-hmm. that's a good a good piece of advice for any writer is is, is to do that you know um, but I always like I, the, the books I always enjoy reading are the ones that have a what if you know a kind of a big what if question at the beginning uh, that and you know a, a very good language always grips me so I, I like David Mitchell mm-hmm. um, because they're, they're very big sort of what if books but yeah I, I suppose that's why I've kind of I never set out to be in speculative fiction, but it tends to be what I, I gravitate to now. Mm-hmm. It has to be a kind of question. Yeah. The, uh, I, I, the Other Lives, which I think was your most recent self-published yeah. book, that sounded, I, I've not I've not read that one myself, but it sounded like it was very much a, a commentary on, you know, it, it was using the what if question really to be a commentary on what was happening just now, is that? Yeah, Fair and, and the, last, the last dog on earth as well, to a certain extent, became became that way. I mean, I I think the last few years it's very difficult to be in that dystopian speculative realm without addressing what's going on politically yeah. and and all around the world and globally. So, yeah, I mean, interestingly, I mean, the end of the world running club. Although I always had that kind of idea of a of a dystopian book ended up not being quite so much about the dystopia as, as the, mm-hmm. the family, whereas the mm-hmm. ones since tend to be more about the dystopia and, yeah. and the, that, that, that question. Yeah. But before we move on from the end of the Rowing Club, there was one thing. I mean, so you got the ping about the publisher when you were in the Mexican restaurant, but I yeah. also saw, <laughs> I think it's a pinned tweet on your Twitter profile. You got a, it must have, what was it like when Stephen King, presumably that was out of the blue, but he suddenly said that yeah. he loved your book. Well, that was that was very recent, actually. That that was after the American publication, and I uh, we were in we've lived in a number of places. So last year, last year we were living in France, and we were living in this very old farmhouse. And I, I was getting up at five o'clock to write, so I was walking through this creaky old farmhouse at five o'clock in the morning with my phone, sat down to write, and I just saw all these notifications, and and you know Stephen King had done this tweet. And I immediately spilled my coffee over the keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> so Stephen King's owes me a new. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, that was. I mean, that's just one of those moments where you think. I mean, for me, I've always been a Stephen King fan, but yeah. for me, that was a really weird kind of circle 
because to think that when I was 16, 17, reading his books, they resonated enough with me to make me want to write. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a big reason for why I wrote. To, to be able to write other words that resonated back with that person, very yeah. odd. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I still can't really get my head around that. It's very, very odd. There's definitely uh, similarities, which I think, between your work and his. I think stuff like um, 112263 or The Stand, you know, there's, there's definitely stuff... In his, especially in his wider books, but you know, not yeah, so much about a one person story, but it's been a big open epic story. So definitely, it's definitely something of a similarity there. I think. Oh, definitely. I mean, there's there's no doubt his writings affected mine. Uh, I mean, there's the, I mean, there's a lot of horror in. Um, I mean, there's horror in most books, to be honest. But I mean, the, the, there's a lot of horror in, in what I write. It's not so much ghouls and ghosts, but mm-hmm. the, the horror of, of images and, and events. And whenever I write those pieces, I'm definitely thinking in that in that headspace that that he's he created definitely. And when you're when you're writing your novels, do you have a particular plan? Are you a big planner, or do you just have a sort of set idea of where you want to go to and and work your? I've become on? a planner definitely. Mm-hmm. So I, I I've tried you know the plotting pantsing kind of thing. You plot or you go by the seat of your pants. Um, <laughs> the, the pants seem doesn't work for me. I can't do that. <laughs> I need to know where I'm going at least. But I, I, uh, I've got a big A3. I've got a big section here. You won't see, but it's, that's where I do my storyboarding. Right. So when I when I come up with an idea, I'll 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 now storyboard every each act, mm-hmm. you know, and, and break that down into bits, and I'll create scene cards for each part of that act. And, and then rearrange them. So yeah, definitely plan it. And yeah. how long does it? How long do you let an idea sort of sit with you before you say, right, this is the one I need to I need to start writing that? Probably between six months and a year, I'll be thinking about something mm-hmm. before it becomes something I'll write. So I've just pitched about twelve ideas to my agent for the next book. Sorry, I should say next book, but one because there's another one out which I'll tell you about. Later. Yes. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and those ideas have been mulling around for the last year at least. So the one that I'm going to do is is, is a year old, definitely. Yeah. All right. So you actually go and you see, I've got these ten, twelve ideas. I don't know which one I want to do next. Tell me yeah. which one you think is the best type thing. Yeah. Oh, okay. Interesting. And I'll do. I've done a full synopsis for each one as well, mm-hmm. which is another horrific thing to do, but it's it <laughs> <laughs> really worth it in the end when you do those things, yeah. And then and then how do you when, once you've started to write and you've and you've done that first draft, how does it go from there? Do you have quite a lot of drafts after that? Do you go back to your storyboard or do you kind of let it sit uh, It depends. Uh every book I write seems to be different. There's different sort of bits to it. I mean the other lives, that was about fifteen drafts and then about ten revisions on top of that. Whereas the sequel to, to, to Running Club was maybe three drafts with a couple of revisions. Okay. And that's because it benefited from, you know, a couple of weeks of literally just scribbling on a A3 pad, you know, mm-hmm. nailing each, each scene. And, and, uh, so, yeah, I, I, don't know, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm honing that process. I think there'll probably come a time when I write a book just straight off. That'll probably happen at some point. But uh, it's definitely becoming quicker with, with the planning process, definitely. How do you guys write? What do you do? Uh, I, I'm quite a big planner, but then that that I'll, well, I'll plan out quite a, quite a lot of things, but then I'll find myself in a bit often where I, where I suddenly start thinking, 
oh, but does that work if because of that thread or that thread? And I can, I can get quite caught up in sort of very small details <laughs> that probably don't matter at the end of the day. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, um, yeah, I need a plan. I definitely need a plan because otherwise I, I don't know where I'm yeah, going. Yeah, see, I think it. I'm always about the opposite. I, I always, and I always start writing and think, I wish I'd planned more because I don't really know where I'm going or I'll have a scene in my head and I'll do a scene and then going on from that scene, I'll, I feel like I don't have the characters down right in my head, so I don't know where they're going. And and so I, so I think what I need to do is I need to sit there and say, what, who are the characters in this piece? Where would they take the story next? And if I try to push it through too artificially, it, it doesn't. I can't just get it, you know. I just don't write anything. I just can't get it, or it just sounds crap, and I can't get it to work. Yeah. So I think I do. You need I need the characters to, to lead you, don't you. Yeah, exactly. So I, I do need to do more planning on that side of things. I think. But there's there's a there's a story I always remember about the the, the plotting and and the kind of um, pantsing for the better word. Um, have you ever listened to the BAFTA screenplay podcasts? No, I haven't actually. No, they're really good, mm-hmm. really good. That each one is um, uh, it's a different screenplay artist from different genres, you know, all, all over the place. Some famous, some some aren't. Uh, Charlie Kaufman does one. Um, there's one by Richard Curtis, I think. But they, they each do a kind of uh, a speech to the BAFTA. I suppose it's a group of, of members. Of, it's, it's live, basically. But they, they do a kind of talk on, on screenwriting and their oh, approach okay. to it. And they're really good. Um, but there's one I always remember. It's by John... Oh, yes, John Logan. Right. Okay. Oh, yeah. John Logan. Yeah. He, he wrote um, screenplays Glad- Gladiator. And he, um, he talks about his process... And he gets up at 4, 4 a.m., you know, writes for four or five hours. But he, when he was writing Gladiator, you know, he planned a lot of it. But there was a there was a moment when he realised that um, the, uh, <laughs> I can't remember the character, <laughs> uh, the Emperor, who was uh, played by... Uh, Joaquin Phoenix? Yes, Joaquin Phoenix, had never had a scene which was just him and his sister. So two key characters, they never had a scene, just the two of them. Mm-hmm. So he thought, right, today I'm just going to write a scene. I'm going to put them in a room. Uh, I don't know what this scene's about. I'm just going to put them in a room and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And that was the scene where he ends up kissing her. Yeah. Okay. It, you, know, you get that yeah. whole kind of incest mm-hmm. thread. And he said he had no idea that was going to happen. Oh, that's interesting. And if he just stuck to his plan, that wouldn't have happened. And that, that actually drives a huge amount of the story in, 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 the, yeah. in the film. Uh, so I've always remembered that, that if you know, planning's great. But you do have to take a few detours sometimes to to find what your characters really are doing. So it's worth it's worthwhile every now and again just sort of freeing off the shackles. I think. Mm-hmm. Well, so sometimes you can be writing a scene, and you know if you know the characters, they'll sometimes say things or do things that you weren't expecting, which sounds yeah. ridiculous to someone that isn't <laughs> no, a writer. But you know it, it can happen because you're in the scene and suddenly you say, "Well, no, wait, this happens." And, and it does, it diverts you from the plan, but sometimes that can be a good thing, definitely. Yeah. And it actually, when you do that, it actually means that you're doing the right thing. It means your character's developing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, yeah. And where do you stand in all the sort of stereotypical or cliche, I suppose, more uh, rules of um, writing, like kill your darlings or write what you know and all that sort of stuff? Definitely write what you know, um, but you have to... Un- I think that's a. I mean, Killy Darlings is an easy one. I would say don't kill them; just put them in a box somewhere. Mm-hmm. 
uh, and come back to them. <laughs> yeah, but no, they might they might be useful. But write what you know is a difficult one. So I've written probably half half of the main characters I've written through self publishing and publishing have been female first person. I always write. I tend to write first person a lot more, uh, and half have been male. So I think if you, if you stick to write what you know. That would be a very difficult thing to do because you know, you, you're going into realms of uh, gender and mm. sexuality that you, you, a lot of male writers probably fall into those traps and they, they don't actually write very well. Mm. Um, but as an example, what I suppose what I'm trying to say is you have to identify the bits within the thread that you're trying to write that you do know, but you don't necessarily always have to write as yourself. You, know, you have to write as, as a person that ident- you, you identify mm. with. The, the sequel to Running Club, and I will get onto this anyway, is written from Beth's perspective, Ed's wife. So I'm writing as as a female. But actually what I found a lot through that book was that I identified a lot more with her than I did with Ed. I put a lot more of myself into her character than I, I did into Ed. So I suppose what I'm trying to say is write what you know, but don't let that constrain you to certain characters or situations. Yeah, um, You just have to put yourself into everything that you every situation and character that you're writing, uh, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I think so. And also, I suppose, with that one, it's, you know, it's what they always say about observing people and, you know, the the more experience that you have or that you have of a situation or something, you can take bits of that and put that into the novel. Yeah. So you're not, you're not, as you say, writing every character as yourself or something. Yeah. But, but you can take the stuff like being a dad mm, or doing, yeah, doing the running yeah. and you can use that to inform the world mm-hmm. that you. Yeah. Those, those are the things that people will, will pick up on, but it, it might even just be a sentence or, or, a, um, you know, a nuance that you've noticed about something. If you bring that into it, that, that can sometimes make make or break a reader. You know, if, if, if they, uh, it's, it, a lot of it is getting someone on side. And if you can identify in some way with a with a you know an aspect of life that that will that will bring them on. Mm. Uh, and you can only do that by writing what you know. You can't pretend that kind of stuff. And what about do you, do you ever have periods of writer's block or anything like that? And any how do you get over it if you do? No, I've not had any of that yet. The the only the only. The only time I almost had that was very early in the morning. I was trying to sort out a scene in the next book but one, and I was literally hunched over a table, scribbling down what I was trying to write. I always write, you know, scribble down what I'm going to write before I write it, and uh, nothing was coming out of the pen. I was just, I had no idea what the scene was, who the people were. Mm -hmm. That was quite a scary moment because it was like, I've literally, I don't know how to push this on. I just walked away. When yeah. I came back later, it's fine. Um, but as far as ideas coming, you know, I've, I've got plenty. I've got too many ideas to to write at the moment, so I'm I'm kind of keen to get as many things down as possible before all <laughs> that kicks in the writer's block. Well, then let's let's talk about your your next book then, which is the end of the end of the world survivors club, which is the sequel yep. to the running club. So how did that come around? So when I finished running club, I knew at the time I was never going to write a sequel because it felt like, although, you know, without giving too much away that, that there is a journey yet to be had, Ed's journey was complete. So, you know, he was a different person. It, it developed and that was it. So I'd said there was, there would never be a sequel, but, um, like I say, the publishers, Penguin Random House, uh, really wanted a, you know, another book. 
so eventually, um, actually, what happened? My, my, I wrote the last dog on Earth, and that that came out. That was second book. The third book I wrote, I'm really happy with. I gave it to the publishers, um, but it wasn't quite what they wanted in terms of their genre. They're quite a specific genre, and they, they had a very specific idea of what they wanted me to write. Yeah, so it didn't quite fit. So I took that off the table, and I said, "So what? What do you want me to write? What, what is it you want me to write?" And they went a sequel to a Running Club. Same <laughs> <laughs> for that three years um so i said well i, I could but I, I just don't know how i do it you know realistically because i i I'd basically be taking a character that is developed into a world and you know there's it, it, nothing for him to do it's, it's just going to be moving basically there's nothing changing and they, they said well it doesn't have to be ed you know it can be anyone else mm-hmm. so that made me think and i realized you know the, the person that took taking the the back seat in the whole of that story is is beth you know the wife she's the one that's been literally holding two children yeah. while he has his journey of discovery so i thought it'd be interesting to discover to, to explore uh what her character was really like and, and what she would do going forward so that was a bit of an eye-opener and i don't think i've had so much fun writing a book as i have with this one because it was just great yeah yeah really put everything into her character and and, and she has to basically the challenge she faces is far worse than ed's Brilliant. Well, can you can you <laughs> give us? Sorry, maybe you can't see this, but is Ed in it at all, or is it just about Beth and her? Or maybe every character, every character you want to be in that book is in the book. Oh, oh brilliant! Fantastic. Okay. Yeah. And and was it an easier book to write second? Uh, sorry, was it an easier book to write because it was almost like putting on an old coat, like we're going back to this world that you'd already made? Was it? Yeah, and actually, it was it was liberating because I realised that you know. That world doesn't have to just be in 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 England and Scotland. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's all over. So it opened up a whole new kind of idea of. I mean, truth be told, I'd like to extend it even further and continue the story after, after this one. Yeah, but yes, having the characters fully developed and and uh, you know the background and the backdrop. Yeah, it was quite easy to just drop into that. Well, my my wife is desperate to know what happened to Bryce so I'll tell her that she might <laughs> right. be able to find that out <laughs> if she buys the book and you said was there another book that yeah so the one that that I was going to do for Penguin which I haven't yeah. um, is called The Human Son right okay uh, Son S-O-N not S-U-N um, and that's being published by uh, Rebellion a sci-fi imprint yeah next year uh, so we've had to stagger the, the releases um but that's all done. It's just in the editing process right now, uh, and I'm really excited about that one. That, that's that's the one that I really uh, I put a lot into. That that's also first person female narrative, but it's a lot more sci-fi, much more okay. hard sci-fi. Yeah. So much more sci-fi than they were expecting when you handed it in. It's it's more sci-fi than my publishers wanted, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it has a very human aspect to it. Uh, which I think is starting to become the, you know, what I, what I generally put into most yeah. of my work. Yeah. Can you give us a, any hint of what the story's about at all? Or are you not allowed yeah. to? No, I can't. I'm, I'm going to be speaking about it soon anyway, but it's, um, it is set 500 years in the future. Uh, there are no humans left on the earth. It's, it's the, the only beings left are a, a, a small group of superhuman, um, super intelligent humans which were genetically engineered by humans to counteract climate change. And the first things they did 
to counteract climate change was to eradicate humans. (laughs) (laughs) Problem solved. So so after 500 years, they brought the planet back to stability. They have to decide whether to bring back humans or not to to resurrect them and and bring them back. And there's various different arguments about whether they should or not. Uh, Long story short, one of them, Ema, a female, decides to engineer a single human and raise this human as her own uh, to show everyone what a human is like. And from that life, this, this, this young boy, they, they have to decide whether to bring back humans or not. So the whole story is her raising a child, uh, a human child, and getting to understand what humans are like and how they work. And it's, it's, it becomes basically a motherhood story. Sounds brilliant. Yeah, it sounds, sounds very interesting. Yeah. Nice. Sounds like a much smaller story, and in, in, in some ways a very wide story, but in a lot of ways quite a small story. Yeah, I mean, it, it go, it's over 16, 17 years, the, the story, so it, it deals with every year of the, the child's life, but uh, it's it's big in terms of you know, the, the idea of the planet and, and yeah. you know, the environmental aspects and what, what we've done. But yeah, it's much more small, you're right, in terms of our mother gets to know a child and, and how a human develops and how they become uh, an adult. Right. And has, with all the interest around the the world, the end of the World Running Club and now the Survivors Club, I'm sure there'll be a lot of interest in, has there ever, have you been approached to turn that into a TV show or a film or anything like that? Jurassic Rights, yeah, we've had, uh, one, one of the biggest things Penguin wanted to do was, was to go out and try and get dramatic uh rights and they did a lot early on uh, and they had some interest but it never actually turned out so what's happened in the last year is I've met uh, an actor and a director James Hillier and Barnaby Southcombe an actor and a director and they've they're interested in the project and they are helping me um, write a screenplay pilot for a series Um, and they have they have contacts in Netflix and, and Amazon you know basically the two places you go to get anything done these days yeah uh, so we're hoping to pitch that in the next couple of months wow on the back of survivors club coming out uh, to try and get some sort of deal but these things are i mean there are so many things made these days yeah. so many things that are bought you know mm-hmm. and never made yeah. so I, i'm kind of I'm, I'm not putting any uh, i'm enjoying the process of writing a screenplay that's really good fun very different sort of process but whether it turns out i don't know i'm hoping it will it's, it's feeling really good. It's, it's it's coming together, but it's yeah, we'll see. I think it, I think it, as a, as a story, I think it would suit a sort of long form TV show rather than a film. Actually, definitely, definitely. yeah, yeah, especially with the sequel and, and the the possibility of further stories going on. Yeah, uh, definitely see each character being you know, uh, a, a central character in a certain way. No, well, we look forward to watching that on Netflix <laughs> in a couple of years. <laughs> And beyond that, have you got? You said you've got plans. So, have you? Have you? Are you about to start writing a new a new novel just sooner? Yeah, it's quite hard at the moment because there's a lot of stuff going on. In you know, I'm I'm, I'm working at the moment. Um, I'm trying to help my dad move up to Aberdeen as well. He's uh, he's selling his house and moving close to the family. So it's hard to find the time as usual to to write. But uh, I definitely have two ideas which I'm sort of. Sp- Starting kind of, <laughs> yeah. Totally. I imagine the next couple of months they'll they'll, they'll sort of really start take off again. But yeah, it's about discipline at the moment, getting up the right time and doing the work. Well, that, so do you write in the morning then? Is that what you do? Yeah. You write yeah. early in the morning. Yeah, yeah. 
If I can get up at five, I'll, I'll get the word count. Anything after that, no. <laughs> and have you ever thought about doing anything else, doing a you know a script for a, a comic book or something similar? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I like I say, I really enjoyed the screenplay stuff. I mean, that is a whole different um, discipline of just dialogue yeah. and scene setting. You know, there's no internal thoughts or, or any any of the description. It's literally you're just trying to get across dialogue and, and, and action. Um, I'd love to do more of that. Haven't thought about comic books, but yeah, I like graphic novels. That'd be quite cool. Mm-hmm. I think computer games are a big thing as well. A lot of uh, writing work in there as well. But yeah, I think there's some some games that now narratively are, are amazing. And also mm-hmm. they must have to write, you'll have one version of the story, but then you'll have to write yeah. all sorts of different Paths. Yeah, it's like the old uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, exactly. Story, exactly. Roll the dice and hit the. And there's, there's definitely quite <laughs> a lot. Of, <laughs> there's quite a lot of games, shorter games, you know, two, three hour games made by smaller studios, which are just pure stories sometimes. The, the gameplay is yeah. not really there. It's just about, uh, you know, a way of, of of having a story that's not a film or a, or a TV show or a book. And it's, it's, I think we're starting to see this experimentation, I think, in video games of how they're not all just. Shooters or something, you know, you can do. Yeah, there's definitely a, other things with that draws people along. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so yeah, I'd love to do that. A- any kind of writing work, I think. I mean, I've I've asked my agent about what other things can you do. You know, what, what other kind of narrative? There's um, Rebellion who are publishing the Human Son. They because they're a hard sci-fi mm. imprint. Mm. Yeah, that they, they don't have to worry about. Um, literary <laughs> crossovers or anything like that they basically i was speaking to the editor the other day and he was saying what they do is they sit down and they decide right let's create a mashup of sherlock holmes and uh cold war <laughs> 50s yeah. and that's the world and then we'll hire writers to write books in in that mm-hmm. that world yeah. Yeah. So they just they sit and they literally brainstorm a, a kind of world and they build it and then they just say right get that guy that guy that guy and we'll write a series uh, and then we'll market that. So I love the idea of that of being given a kind of world to you know write in to play in. Yeah, a rebellion is that the same? Are they the same ones that own two thousand AD? Is that uh, yes? Yeah. So yeah, yeah so, so they, they do that already in the comic side then. I suppose exactly. Yeah. yeah. So they 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 were a computer games company. Uh, right, but they've yeah. got the Solaris books and all the other stuff that are in, in, in there. Yeah. Well, I suppose we'll we'll jump to some rapid rapid fire questions Just, if you don't okay. mind, uh, and I'll I'll jump in straight in with uh, Star Wars or Star Trek. Star Wars. No hesitation. <laughs> <laughs> Marvel or DC. Marvel. Okay. <laughs> well, I like I like Batman. Oh damn! Bird box or a quiet place? Ah, uh, no, right, neither. <laughs> <laughs> because I'll tell you why. Um, have you heard of the Silence by Tim Levin? Uh, no, no, I don't think I have. Okay, so the Silence is a book written by Tim Levin, a UK sci-fi author in 2015, right? And it is. Basically, a quiet place, <laughs> but before a quiet place came out, right. and it's a brilliant book. And the film is coming out of that, but there's a oh, lot right, of talk okay. in the. Um, sorry, this isn't quick fire at all. Anyway, 
you have to go and see it and you have to read the book, but you have to remember that A Quiet Place came after The Silence. Okay. Anyway, I would say Bird Box over A Quiet Place. Okay. I saw it the other day. Okay. <laughs> uh, TV or cinema? Uh, cinema. Uh, real book or ebook? Real book. <laughs> Uh, and uh, would you rather eat in or go out? Uh, well, now. <laughs> yeah, uh, what do right you fancy? <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, eat in at the moment. Yeah. That was ace. That was really fun chatting with Adrian, and uh, I have to say, I'm really excited for the end of the, of the World Survivors Club, which comes out at the end of the year, more than I was beforehand. Yeah, I'm totally looking forward to finding out what's happened to all the characters. Mm. My wife will be pleased to hear that Bryce <laughs> also features in it. <laughs> it was. I thought it was also really interesting listening to Adrian talk about how he'd moved from self-publishing into publishing, yeah. although seems to still have a foot in both camps. There, it is interesting how certain types of of publishers are happy with one type of book, but then another type of book they're not really interested in, and that, that's quite interesting uh, dilemma to have. I know it is, it is strange given how successful the end of the world running mm. club was, um, but it shows you it is, it is all about the the genre for some publishers. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he, Adrian also mentioned Tim Levin's The Silence. There, uh, the movie of that is actually out on Netflix this week. It stars Stanley Tucci, so we'll definitely be watching that one. Uh, and Tim's actually a guest on the podcast in the next few weeks, so we're excited to talk to him soon. And anyone out there who's a fan of Tim, please send in your questions for us. Uh, you can get in touch by sending us a tweet to at right underscore gear or an email to podcast at rightgear.co.uk. Thanks to Simon Stokes for all his help with the podcast. And we'll just leave you with a bit more info about page one, which, as we say, is now out on Kickstarter and runs until the 2nd of May. So go and grab yours now. Waste no more time, people. Exactly. And we'll see you next week. See you later. The blank page. To some, it's terrifying, an obstacle to overcome. But we prefer to think of it as an opportunity, a blank canvas to be filled with all of the adventures and characters in our head. So how to overcome that fear? Well, we all know the best advice for a writer is write. Seriously, get words on the page and more will follow. But what about later, when you start trying to pull those threads of what you've written together? What about the character you wrote about way back at the start? Who was she again? What was she carrying? And where did she leave the MacGuffin that she now really needs in the third act? Think about all those taut thrillers you like to read. Or that amazing drama you just watched. What did they all have in common? Structure and planning. As aspiring writers ourselves, we've tried many different methods to try and organise all the thoughts about the stories we want to tell. We've been there searching for a piece of scrap paper to note something down or making a quick note on our phone in between meetings. Or sometimes we'll make a note in whatever notebook we're carrying or a document on our laptop so we don't forget that great idea. Let's be honest, it can all be a bit messy and it's easy to lose track of everything. And that's when we realise it's not just a story that needs structure and planning, but the way we gather all of our thoughts about it as well. And so we made Page One. Page One is more than just another notebook. It's a place to put down all your ideas for your latest project, divided into easy-to-use sections that will help you plan your story, so that when that blank page comes calling, you're ready to answer. And then afterwards, once it's written, we realised you need to plan how to let people read it, so we included a section relating to submissions. 
We've created three editions of Page One, Standard, Premium, and Exclusive Kickstarter Edition. Each one is designed for one project. Whether you want to write a book, screenplay, a comic, or any other kind of story, we truly believe that when you use it, it will help you get to the main event, writing your story. So we hope this helps. We can't wait to read what you come up with. And remember, every story starts with page one.